Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And I thought to myself this morning, you know what we haven't covered enough of? We haven't covered that whole Epic versus Apple versus Google lawsuit thing. Just quite enough. Now, of course, I'm kidding, but we haven't covered it in almost a week at this point. And fortunately, someone here on YouTube has. In a video entitled, Apple's Reckoning Has Come, period, a YouTuber by the name of Linus Tech Tips, who a number of you did DM me about, comment to me about, asking me to do a response to because of the number of views in this video and because of some of the things that he says in it, did in fact cover the Epic versus Apple versus Google versus everyone shenanigans in a way that is actually pretty close to accurate in a number of respects and which makes a lot of the statements that are made in this video very difficult to parse through and actually pull out where there are inaccuracies. In other words, this was a lot more difficult to take a look at than the Matt Pat Game Theorist video, which just had four or five things that were clearly and flatly wrong. No, I actually think that Linus Tech Tips does yeoman's work in trying to wrap their arms around this entire case, around the issues presented by the case in what amounts to, I think, 16 minutes of video. Unfortunately, like so many that have talked about this case, whether it's in journalistic outlets or here on YouTube, I think a number of fundamental mistakes are made that should be addressed, especially when there are videos out there that are going out to a million or more viewers. Now, obviously, I'm a lawyer, so I have my own feelings on this. I'm a corporate lawyer. I have talked to clients about things related to antitrust, antitrust rules, the Sherman Act, Clayton Act, and other acts and laws and regulations like those things. So take that with the same grain of salt that you would take anything coming from Linus Tech Tips or anyone else. And before we get started, I do want to say, I know a number of folks come into my comments and talk about the various videos where I respond to someone and make disparaging comments over the folks that put together those videos or those comments. I'm actually very appreciative of the number of people that are having this conversation because one thing that I definitely agree with Linus Tech Tips on is that this is a very important theory that Epic has brought before the court. This is a very important case and likely set of cases that will actually have certain deterministic effects on the future of digital ecosystems. So while a lot of YouTubing is clickbait and overemphasizing and hyperbolizing the importance of various news items, he says in this video that he thinks it's the, an important case for the future of digital environments entirely, and I agree with him. I'm happy he's having the conversation. I'm glad that we can have it here on YouTube. And so I would ask that everybody that follows me, that comments in my videos, have that same amount of respect. And absolutely, if you also follow Linus Tech Tips, let them know. I'd be happy to have this conversation. We can discuss the points that I raise in this video and find some common ground. With that being said, let's talk about a few of the things that he says in this video. So he starts out with a premise that I find problematic on its face. So he says, if Epic can convince a judge that the Apple tax... now disregarding the fact that the Apple tax is the phraseology that Epic uses, mostly we would consider it a fee for services rendered. Taxation implies that there aren't services being passed back and forth, which we will actually see. Linus Tech Tip says isn't the case. He feels that Apple is performing services, did develop an ecosystem with the iPhone, which is Apple's primary argument as to why it should be allowed to control access to that hardware and to those iDevices. But he says that if a judge can be convinced that the Apple tax must be reduced from the 30% amount that they charge for app distribution and IA app, uh, IAP, or that iOS should allow competing app stores, it would be a huge boost to app developers' bottom lines, including Epic Games. Now, the main problem I have with this, as a lawyer and also as a guy with an economics background and a business background, is that it assumes a kind of cetris paribus world, a world in which nothing else changes except Apple's percentage is removed or Epic is allowed to put an app store in place. That Apple still continues to sell iPhones. They still continue to develop those iPhones to provide the tools and support that they do provide to the developers that are on their service, that are using the iPhone. That the fact that potentially malware is introduced to the Apple environment that wasn't introduced before when Apple had a more walled garden and total control approach to their hardware, that that doesn't change 
the fact that people want to buy into that ecosystem, that Apple continues in the same way, just with a lower cut of their interest in the phone. And I would say there isn't evidence of that. And the law in general has to be very cautious about using its considerable powers, the power of the government to essentially force otherwise free actors to do certain things with essentially a premise that some people will be benefited. Now, obviously the law makes those kinds of decisions all the time, but it is incumbent on the plaintiff here, your Epic Games is of the world, to prove that consumers specifically will benefit from this kind of reduction. And I don't think that they can make that case. And because I don't think that they can make that case, I evaluate the Epic Games case as relatively weak. Now, that's only the start of this video, but you can see the overall premise is going to spin the analytics here into a very specific direction. That if Epic Games were to win this, it would be a boon to the stakeholders that Linus Tech Tips is most interested in. And that is the developers. And hey, I love developers too. I would love to see publisher cuts, storefront cuts come down. I would love to have more of my dollars go to support the developers. But these ecosystems don't just come out of nothing. And we have to look at that from the outside in. A win for Epic here could essentially mean the death of the walled garden ecosystem altogether. A future where iPhones and iPads, for that matter, could have multiple app stores, sideloading of apps, or even custom operating systems without jailbreaking. Now here, Linus Tech Tips and I, as you know if you've been following this story in virtual legality, are in complete agreement. The Epic theory of the case, and we will see where there's some kind of mischaracterizations of what Epic is actually claiming here in just a minute, but the Epic theory of the case is that Apple, by having a monopoly on app distribution within their iOS, their operating system that is unique and specific to their iDevices, the iPhone and the iPad, by having that monopoly, and then by also having a monopoly in the processing of in-app payments, IAP, is using the combination of those two things in a way that is an illegal restraint of trade and harming, really, developers. And Epic's belief in that is not inaccurate. Apple most definitely has a monopoly on the provision of access to its OS, 100%. But that isn't unusual for hardware creators at all. That isn't unusual for your Nintendo Switch. That isn't unusual for your Xbox, your PlayStation 5, various refrigerators, your car. And these things come up all the time in the law. Now, you can argue about these things. You can argue that maybe there should be some kind of rights to be able to break into the iOS, to break into various operating systems on different pieces of hardware. But it's important to note, as we talk about this entire case, and I think this is skipped as Linus Tech Tips continues with this video, that this fundamentally would alter what is a legal business model in the United States if Epic were to win. That those hardware devices would no longer be allowed to essentially block off other applications, other app store access, things of that nature. And so we aren't just talking about iPhones or iPads. Linus Tech Tips is right at the front end of his video. We are talking about the future of the digital ecosystem in general. And for me, as you've heard in this space in virtual legality, whether or not you like a walled ecosystem, a walled garden, if you will, and it's clear that Linus Tech Tips and presumably the folks that follow him do not, they would prefer the open systems on Android and PC and elsewhere. Regardless of whether you or I like that ecosystem, I view it as a choice that consumers are entitled to make. That the Apple ecosystem exists that grew from nothing 12 years ago to what it is now because people found that to be appealing. And breaking it through the force of law, through the force of government, doesn't help consumers. It hurts them because they are no longer to able to purchase a product that they would otherwise purchase. That everybody is forced into the world of open operating systems on their phone. And maybe you or me or someone else near us would prefer to not have to deal with that. I don't know if you interact with any older folks in your lives, but I know a number of them that really do prefer that it just works model. I can just trust Apple. I pay a premium, sure, but that premium is providing me something, whether that's security, safety, I just like how it looks, whatever it might be, they are entitled to that choice. And Epic would take that choice away. And I think that gets skipped in all of this analysis. 
Next, we have one of the really big problems with the way Linus Tech Tips uses the arguments in his video. And that's this notion of a monopoly. You saw this in the MatPat video. You saw this in Game Theorist. So you already know what I'm going to say here. But he describes the issue in the Epic case as follows. Epic's argument is that Apple's practice of forcing developers to distribute iOS apps only through the App Store and only use Apple's own in-app payment option constitutes a monopoly. Now, first, that's, I know it's an 18-minute video, but that's slicing the onion a little too thinly, if you will. They aren't actually claiming that all of that is a monopoly. They're claiming that each of those markets is a monopoly, that distribution is a monopoly, and that the in-app payment is a monopoly. And the reason they're claiming those as two separate monopolies is because they are trying to establish that Apple is illegally tying the use of the in-app payment method to the app distribution component. Because if they can establish that they are two separate markets, that they wouldn't otherwise use their IAP payment processing, even if they wanted to use the distribution component of their iOS, then they can claim that there's illegal tying and then they can potentially get IAP off the books. That maybe Apple can still control iOS access, can still control app distribution in general, but they can get IAP that they can do direct payments for. And if you really look at Epic's behavior, if you really look at what they are aimed at, it's really trying to free up IAP because ultimately Epic doesn't care if they have to comply with certain things on the app developer guidelines for Apple. If they can get Fortnite to you on your iPhone and then get all of the money through IAP, Fortnite is free to play. Their money, their economy lives in the IAP. They're trying to free that up. And so they have to make the case that they are illegally tied together. And why do they have to do that? Well, Linus Tech Tip says, well, it's going to come down to how the judge ends up defining monopoly. But you know that isn't the case. Apple absolutely has a monopoly in those two features. Now, are they separate markets? That's an open question. But why do they have to try to establish them as separate markets? Because as we've talked about, as the Federal Trade Commission summarizes so well here, it is not illegal for a company to have a monopoly or to charge high prices. Please. If you see any of these videos on YouTube, at bare minimum, just throw down this concept. No matter what Parker Brothers taught you in the past, a monopoly in and of itself is not illegal. The Sherman Act and the United States law in general wants businesses to try to get as big and as powerful as they can be. That that is competition. And if they succeed in competing, we don't want to penalize that. The law is violated only if the company tries to maintain or acquire a monopoly through unreasonable methods. And we will see at the end of this video that Linus Tech Tips admits that Apple has done something, has done something good in building up the iDevice ecosystem. And there isn't really a complaint from anyone anywhere that they built that ecosystem up through unreasonable methods. The fact that 30% was charged day one is charged by every other store online or physically helps to establish that Apple isn't just raising prices, isn't using any untoward power because they're establishing the same prices as everybody else. Similarly, when you're looking at monopolization, as the Federal Trade Commission puts it this way, courts ask if the firm has monopoly power in any market. This requires in-depth study of the products sold by the leading firm and any alternative products consumers may turn to if the firm attempted to raise prices. Then courts ask if that leading position was gained or maintained through improper conduct that is something other than merely having a better product, superior management, or historic accident. The law allows for historic accident. You would just happen to be the first ones that came up with smartphone. Great. It's historic accident, but you get the value of that historic accident. So it's not just enough to establish that you are a monopoly. You have to establish that you are a monopoly, which you are in app distribution and IAP processing, but that you are using that monopoly power in some untoward way. Or said another way, in this Department of Justice document, and the antitrust laws often dovetail with considerations of Department of Justice type of thoughts. The law does not condemn all agreements between companies, only those that threaten to raise prices to consumers or to deprive them of new and better products. So if we're really looking at this, I would argue that the only party here that is seeking to deprive consumers of new and better products is Epic. 
And I know a number of you are going to come into the comments of this video and say, I'm just an Apple shill. But in all honesty, I've done videos in which I've talked about the Apple terms and conditions that I don't like. I might well do a video on how I think Apple is really screwing up with their approach to streaming video game services like xCloud. And I think that they've really caused trouble for themselves. And I actually think there would be a better antitrust claim by Microsoft on that stuff than Epic is bringing right now. But ultimately, the Sherman Act, the U.S. antitrust law environment, cares about what happens to the consumers. Epic would see the consumer environment changed, and they don't offer a good reason for it. They don't offer an example of how Apple illegally built up their empire or how they have illegally used the power of their empire now. Epic signed up to an agreement the same day they decided to engage in this surreptitious war, and they didn't establish what Apple had done to earn their ire at this moment in time. That's going to be a problem for them from a legal perspective. Next, Linus Tech Tips moves on to talk about the history of the case. I actually think that he does a really good job in what amounts to three or four minutes describing how this all happened, how Epic put together a hot fix that enabled payment processing in the dead of night, the letters that were exchanged, how they also sued Google at the same time, how they had a marketing campaign ready. But he also describes this action from Apple as follows, and I don't think this is quite right, including a particularly petty threat from Apple that would have inflicted unnecessary damage on third-party developers who just happened to use Epic's Unreal Engine. Now, first of all, the damage that would be caused to third-party developers is really not necessarily established. Epic says, hey, if we don't have the tool set, we can't support it in the same way. Undoubtedly, there would be some friction and there would be some problems. One thing that has been confused in this space is that everybody that uses Unreal Engine as middleware, as an engine for their game, would be kicked off the store. That isn't the case. This was always and everywhere about whether or not Epic could effectively offer third-party support to folks that were using the engine on the iOS environment. Those games wouldn't go anywhere. It's just that they couldn't get the same support from Epic and they would be negatively affected. But he describes Apple's threat here as particularly petty. And I've never quite understood that. In this scenario, Epic signed up to an agreement the same day that they asked for a side letter with Apple to avoid their restrictions on app stores, and in-app payments and direct payments and all those kinds of things, signed up to the agreement anyway, immediately launched into a plan to update their game to not tell Apple that it was being updated for direct payment, which they knew by virtue of the emails that they sent to Apple was in violation of the developer guidelines. They then sent an email back out to Apple on the morning of, I think, August 13th, saying, we decline your monopolistic behavior and Tim Sweeney being Tim Sweeney, and then put forth a hot fix that did this direct payment. And Apple basically said, well, okay, Fortnite's kicked off. Then Epic launched into a tirade, a federal lawsuit, and a marketing campaign in which they described Tim Cook as a bad Apple, tried to solicit their user base of primarily children and teenagers to hate the Apple brand, to disparage this business partner. And the business partner said, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. We like making money with you, but if you're just going to attack us, then we're going to get rid of all of our relationships to you. And we have a right to say who's in the developer program, who we offer support to. And if that happens to include another business, another business function that you are selling, then that's not our problem. That's your problem. You have now convinced us that you aren't trustworthy and we don't want to work with you. And so we're going to turn off all these switches. Now, this is still in play, right? He describes it as particularly petty as if this were over, presumably because the temporary restraining order in August prevented Apple from hitting this switch. But you guys in virtual legality know that Apple has already asked the court to be able to turn that switch back on if for no other reason then the contract that they entered into with Epic on all their teams through Epic and Epic International and everybody, whether it's related to Unreal Engine or otherwise, says we can terminate this relationship on 30 days notice for any reason or no reason. And so the court's going to look at that contract and maybe they come up with a different determination. I can never speak for a judge on these kinds of things, but the court's going to look at that contract and say, well, you agreed to 30 days termination for any reason or no reason. Why should that change? You say it's retaliatory. 
but Apple can be retaliatory. They, they can do whatever they want here. They don't have to have this developer relationship with you right now. And so what do you want to do about it, Epic? And so I think while it might be described as petty here by Linus Tech Tips, if you really think about it, if you pretend it wasn't a $2 trillion company and it was just your local mom and pop store that was dealing with somebody like Epic, that was selling something bad, that was clearly in breach of contract, and they were also selling you something that was okay. And you say, you know what? I don't want to even work with you at all because I just can't trust you and I can't trust anything that you're doing in my environment. You know, if it were that mom and pop and it weren't a $2 trillion company, where would you wind up? So I do think the court's going to have a difficult question as to whether or not they are going to allow Apple to cut off these contracts, even if it has this other damage, because Honestly, Apple has the right to do so and had the right to do so before Epic did anything in this regard. Next, he gets to a few things related to cuts and and math. So yeah, it turns out that that's just a standard cut found on basically every major digital platform. That's the 30%, right? And this is a fundamental issue because remember, when we talk about the Sherman Act, it's about consumers. When we talk about monopolistic behavior, it's about actually using power in an in a way to restrain trade. And he says all the major consoles and even otherwise physical stores have that 30% cut. Now, I don't know. What's wrong with that, right? A 30% cut leaves 70% for developers. And then a non sequitur. Well, yes, but also no. Between platform fees, licensing, and other infrastructure costs, developers can sometimes take home way less. And that's, of course, true, but it's apropos of nothing. Yes, it costs money to make a product. It costs money to pay your developers. It costs money to pay your rent. This is no different from saying, yeah, 70% to developers, but you know what? They have costs associated with that 70%. Sure, absolutely. He then actually links to Tim Sweeney's tweet about taxes. So of the sales of an app in the UK, 30% goes to the store, 22% goes to the tax, and only 48% to the developer, making creators minority participants in their own work. Everyone is paying Apple's taxes except Apple. This was in respect of a 2% tech tax that the UK put forth that Apple passed along as a tax. And he says, well, everyone is paying Apple's taxes except Apple. Except that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense for Linus to quote it here. And it certainly doesn't make any sense for Tim Sweeney or Epic to say it. Every digital storefront passes along whatever taxes are applicable to it, right? If you go to look at Epic Game Store, just pulled up a random cart that I put together just for this video. You can see right here, hey, you know what? $1.35 $1.35 in U.S. taxes. You know what those are? Those are sales taxes. You know who isn't selling anything? Me. You know who is? Epic. And yet those taxes are passed along. So everybody's paying Epic's taxes except Epic. But I don't believe that any more than Tim Sweeney believes this. And I think any more than Linus Tech Tips believes any of this either. Yeah, 70% still has to pay for expenses in the creation of your video game or your application or whatever else you're trying to sell on iOS. That's not different from anywhere else. So yeah, I can understand why developers want to make more than 70%. Everybody does. And absolutely, if you want to have an Epic phone that gives only 12% of a cut to Epic and pays 88% to developers, go right ahead. Or if you want to engage in a $100 million lawsuit, I suppose you can do that as well. Epic. Next, he makes a kind of snide comment here. He says that Apple is making all this money through the services that they're selling on the App Store. $18.3 billion accounts for nearly 40% of Apple's services revenue, justifying Apple's investment into other more prestige products like Jennifer Aniston and Steve Carell. So Apple, Google, and all the rest are in no hurry to give up that 30% cut. Yeah, we have competing businesses here that are seeking their own slice of the pie for the services they provide. But while you could say, yes, that $18.3 billion, which is essentially angels on the head of a pin for a $2 trillion company, but be that as it may, yes, you could say that that helps subsidize their other projects like Apple TV. Perhaps you could say that the $18.3 billion that they make, which ultimately is received far more by the developers that make the games and apps on their service, is used to support the store itself. Again, we will see towards the end of this video that Linus Tech Tips actually spins around and says Apple does all this good stuff. That good stuff costs money. When Apple talks about the fact that Fortnite has gone through 200 some odd reviews and that they were personally and manually reviewed by various Apple folks to keep malware off the system, to try to keep whatever 
certification of quality Apple is trying to put forth in its ecosystem, that costs money. That is Apple investing in its brand, in its goodwill. And sure, it's a big company. It could be spent on things like Jennifer Aniston, but you're stealing a base there. And I think Linus Tech Tips knows it. He seems like a smart guy. He knows that this money is also going to support the store. And more importantly, from an economic perspective, we want these groups to be in alignment. We want Apple to have skin in the game. We want them to get a cut for support of their store, of their hardware, because we want them to continue supporting their store and their hardware. We want them to give tools to developers so that developers can have that access, can be able to market on the iOS. So we want Apple to make oodles of money so that Apple makes oodles of money that they can use to justify to the bean counters the existence of the store and the resources they are putting into it. Apple does not have a monopoly on mobile devices, but as we've said, Epic sued both Google and Apple, and will be making the case that the two of them actually constitute a duopoly. For Apple then, the crucial objective will be to convince a judge that an iPhone is fundamentally unlike general computing devices like PCs and Macs. So a couple of things here. One, we're primarily skipping his discussion of the Google suits, primarily because nothing is happening on Google. He does make some good points. He describes it well. One of the things that he describes that's really important to his final verdict in this video is that the Epic versus Google lawsuit is in existence even though Google and Android allows for sideloading. That Epic sits there and says sideloading is too hard. And I think that's important to remember when we talk about this as an existential type case, because if Apple could allow sideloading, if ultimately they settled, Epic still wouldn't be happy with the sideloading that Android provides, that they want it to be smoother. They want it to be svelter. They want it to be more efficient. They want to have fewer friction points between you and buying V-Bucks from them. And so they would be looking for Apple or Google or whomever might occur in the future to put forth an operating system that effectively just allows them to slide in, doesn't have any malware warnings, and I don't think that's ever going to happen. But the actual thesis here, the logic, doesn't make a ton of sense. There's actually paragraphs here in the ellipses that I have uh, not included in this quote as I tried to make sense of where he was going with this. But ultimately, he says, Apple doesn't have a monopoly on mobile devices. That's true. Nobody claims that they do. But Epic sued both Google and Apple and is claiming a duopoly. Now, in truth, they're not claiming a duopoly in mobile devices. They're claiming a duopoly in effective operating system access. If you go into their lawsuits, they are saying that the iOS together with the Android market, which they have to be very careful to define as effectively the operating system market for things that a company is willing to license out to other hardware providers so that you can skip Samsung or whomever that is making their own operating systems because you are trying to establish that this is a monopoly that deserves some kind of judicial verdict in your favor. So they are trying to establish a duopoly, but ultimately that doesn't matter. Ultimately, this doesn't come down to whether Apple's a monopoly. They are. It comes down to whether the market for iOS access, app distribution and in-app payment processing is in fact a relevant antitrust market, a market that the law should care about because it could deleteriously affect consumers in some way. So then he makes the leap to say for Apple, then the crucial objective will be to convince a judge that an iPhone is fundamentally unlike general computing devices. That's not accurate. So he he's confusing a couple of points. And I think I see a lot of this happening in the comments to these videos. So it's one of the reasons I brought it up here. The older Microsoft Windows Internet Explorer cases that I have not talked about in respect of this line of cases, which I don't think is a great precedent for what is happening here, exists fundamentally because Microsoft didn't make the hardware that it was selling Windows onto, right? And that's one of the reasons why I think that despite it being less obvious, Epic's case against Google, and they're trying to block off various hardware providers from working with Epic in order to get access to Android, is maybe a better match for those earlier precedents, the earlier settlements, and things along those lines. iPhone, Apple created a piece of software only to run their hardware. This is essentially a one-piece product. And so what we've got here, it doesn't matter whether it's a general computing device. Epic tries to come out and say, well, PCs are open, so iPhone should be too. But while Apple can absolutely say the iPhone is different, and this will be important to kind of cutting off that argument at the pass, 
it doesn't actually matter for the question of monopoly. Apple 100% has a monopoly. That's over. The question is whether the monopoly is a relevant antitrust market. And then after that question, whether if it is a relevant antitrust market, whether they're doing anything bad with it. Because if you can't establish that in-app payments are different from app distribution and that the 30% is effectively two markets that there's a time component to, and you can't establish that 30% is too high, primarily because everybody charges 30%, then what you've established maybe is a walled garden monopoly who isn't doing anything bad and that there is no redress in the court system against. So ultimately, while this could be important because Epic is trying to say, well, iMacs should be treated the same as iPhones, they are definitely different devices. And for the most part, the court's going to have to be convinced that it's important to treat them the same way when the business holder says, hey, phones are different. You got to get that business call. To Linus Tech Tips credit, he pulls up a 2007 article uh, from Apple that basically talks about the fact that the iPhone is distinct from a computer, that you need to have it not break down, not have the same access or vulnerability to malware that a computer has because it's more important on a day-to-day basis and things along these lines. And hey, that might come into play, but it doesn't actually fundamentally change the question of whether Apple has a monopoly. As he says, and this is something that we've said in virtual legality, so a judge might think that Epic's argument that Apple has total control over the iOS app distribution market is nonsensical, because of course they do. That's iPhone, baby. Unfortunately, despite this being a great couple of sentences, and I think very apropos to the case, he doesn't really grapple with the implications of that. He just moves on to the next point. A judge might think this. A judge is likely to think this. One of the reasons that legal analysts, as he will say, have come out and said, well, this is a tough case for Epic to bring is because it would represent a sea change in how the courts and how the law has seen the digital market ecosystem. In particular, the creation, development, and maintenance of operating systems on proprietary hardware, which for the most part, I think we've all assumed companies have the right to do. And Companies have the right to put those operating systems on iPhones, sure. But as we've talked about in this space, everything else under the sun, whether that is your your video game consoles under your TV or your refrigerator, or more importantly, you know, hospital equipment, things that use operating systems in novel and proprietary ways, do they have to open themselves up to anyone and everyone that wants to put their software on that hardware? And more importantly, can somebody like Apple or somebody like uh, Samsung or, or Google for their own Android devices say, okay, you can do that, but it breaks warranty, right? Part of this argument is, hey, you can always jailbreak your phone. 100% you can jailbreak your phone, but that breaks warranty. And of course it does because Apple says, we don't know what you're putting on it anymore. And we don't know whether we could fix it if you put something really bad on there. So we're not going to give you a warranty on it. Epic and uh, the other parties that are going to be talked about as part of this video, the commenters to my videos, suggest that that isn't of itself a bad thing. But I don't think even if Epic were to win on this, they would win on not forcing Apple or anybody else to honor a warranty when something else is put onto their hardware. Next, we have one of the big good points that Linus Tech Tips raises that we've raised in this space. And that's that Apple has done a really, really, really poor job of establishing their app developer guidelines and establishing the differences that they have found internally for this various for their various partners within the development ecosystem. As he says, Amazon Prime Video and other high-profile apps have negotiated their way to paying Apple only 15%. And then there's Apple's strange distinction between apps that provide primarily digital or primarily physical goods. Now, I do think that Apple can have legitimate business justifications for treating physical goods different from digital goods. People associate the brand of the phone that they are using with something bad happening on that phone, that they can absolutely establish that they should have to pay more, they have more resources devoted to securing the digital application environment, the brand goodwill associated with things that are actually operating on the phone rather than the taxi driver that you got from Uber to take you from one party to the next, that you don't associate in your brain that you worked with Apple to get that Uber driver when that Uber driver takes you way to the wrong side of town. So Apple can make these claims, but they haven't. Their developer guidelines really don't make this distinction very strongly. They really should. And if anything comes out of this case at the end of the day, it would surprise me if Apple doesn't clean some of this stuff up, establish that goods that are created, developed, delivered, otherwise used in the real world don't have to have these same kind of rules because X, Y, and Z that Apple can use to justify things. 
In terms of the 15%, in terms of negotiation down, the thing that I've said in this space that you've heard me say that I've said to my clients is that any non-negotiable contract is absolutely negotiable if you have enough leverage. Your Amazon Prime videos, your other really large, high volume clients can always go and say, that's nice. We don't want to pay 30. We'd rather pay 15. And businesses are allowed to negotiate that. 100% they are. But you always have to be cognizant of how it's going to be treated by a third party. If Epic could establish that Apple was only giving discounts to parties that it didn't feel were really directly competing with its services and was otherwise being harder on those things that were competing with its services, like video games, then that's going to be a a notch in their belt, a, a piece of evidence in Epic's favor to say, hey, look, Apple was only willing to negotiate with those folks that were outside of these key industries, which they clearly are trying to restrict competition within. If Apple did that, if Apple wasn't just basing its negotiations on volume and leverage and was actually trying to protect specific markets, then you might have a claim. It's one of the reasons why I think Microsoft in the xCloud case is actually a better one than this one, because the justification there for a streaming app that just happens to be streaming games instead of Netflix is much weaker than some of the stuff that we are seeing here, the differences between Fortnite and Uber. So I do think that Microsoft has a better case than Epic. I don't know that Microsoft's going to bring it. I don't know that they have the appetite to do so. And Microsoft and Apple do try to get along. But this is a great point that Linus Tech Tips brings up, that Apple treating developers differently could be used against it in a fashion that Apple definitely wouldn't like. So if Epic were simply asking for special treatment, it actually wouldn't even be that out of the ordinary, but they're not doing that. Now, this has been a fight, you know, in virtual legality. Obviously, he thinks that this fight is won by Epic. A lot of the things that he quotes, the the framing that he gives to this video is really Epic's description of the events within this case. But as you know, Tim Sweeney, 100% on June 30th, the day that he signs back up to Apple after Apple refuses him this, asked for a side letter. Apple would need to provide a side letter or alter its contracts and standards documents to remove restrictions to allow Epic to provide a competing app store and competing payment processing option to iOS customers. He 100% asked for special treatment. As part of this letter, because if you look at the timing, he knew that he was doing this lawsuit really at this moment. He also put in a sentence that said, hey, we hope Apple makes these options available to every other iOS developer. But he didn't fight that ground. He didn't mandate it. He said, now give me a side letter and we hope you give other people side letters too or that you rework your contract. But ultimately give us the side letter. And if you don't do that, well, we're going to start planning for 30 days or 40 days. And then we're going to hit you with a hot fix in the middle of the night and see how you like it. Epic 100% asked for special treatment. And I I think it's useful. It's clearly good marketing. A lot of people have bitten at this particular apple, no pun intended, but Epic did ask for special treatment, and that shouldn't be skipped when we're looking at this, even though they're trying to frame their case as Robin Hood, stealing from the rich to give to the poor, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now we get into some of the stuff that's maybe a little bit more subjective, but I still really, really hate, right? I've I've called this pounding the table. But as he says, most legal analysts say that the law as it stands now anyway is not on Epic's side. Now that as it stands now anyway is actually pretty important. Obviously, I'm a legal analyst. I've looked at this and say it's a very weak case for the current existing Sherman Act jurisprudence because a court hasn't looked at one of these things and said, no, hardware manufacturer, you can't have an operating system that you control access to. But sea changes in the law do happen. They're not really anticipatable. And a judge would have to make a determination that doesn't necessarily follow from my look at the precedent or the materials that are put forth in the Sherman Act or the congressional history related to antitrust law or what have you. But it does happen. And those things can change the world. My job here is to tell you what I think is a weak case. It doesn't mean it's an impossible case to win. As we've talked about, you've got one judge sitting in one jurisdiction that could decide, you know what? I think it is a relevant antitrust market. And once you say that, maybe you get over that 30% slash tying hump. Maybe it's a relevant antitrust market. Maybe those two markets are separate. Maybe it's illegal tying and the IAP has to be opened up. And then Epic won whatever it wanted. Apple's in a little bit of trouble because everybody's going to move to free apps and in-app payments to buy those apps. But the judge has made her decision and the appeals process would commence. That absolutely can happen. Still doesn't mean I don't think it's a weak case. And that's where the other prong of Epic's two-pronged assault comes in. The people. 
Now, he does reference Fortnite players really briefly. Epic obviously launched into a Fortnite video, a Fortnite series of marketing events, free Fortnite, Tim Sweeney tweets, the whole Megillah. But then he references things like news publishers. If you haven't been following that story, a bunch of news publishers say we'd like to lower the rates on access to the app store, on the access to the environment on iOS. Absolutely true. He, he talks about Microsoft fighting against the injunction uh, or fighting to get an injunction preventing Apple from killing the Unreal Engine access. True. But that doesn't actually have a relation to the overall fight that Epic is having with Apple. Facebook making certain complaints. And Floatplane, which is apparently a sister company of his that also had its own issues dealing with various Apple things, which he really doesn't elaborate on. The point there is twofold. One, he says it comes from the people, and then he references a whole lot of big entities. News publishers, Microsoft, Facebook, that's not exactly what I would frame as the people. And I would always caution folks to get into a fight between big tech giants like Microsoft, Facebook, Google, Epic, and Apple, and pick a side. Chances are the the side that you would pick isn't a side that really cares about you either way. They're trying to get their best commercial interests in line, more power to them, but this isn't an upwards grassroots movement of the people to defend Epic. And in fact, as we've talked about in this space, I think free Fortnite is really despicable in all honesty. Epic has said things like fighting the evil monopoly of Apple, really talked about things like they are in Braveheart or whatever your other kind of classic film that you want to use to picture Tim Sweeney holding up a sword and getting folks to charge on his command. And they haven't told them the whole story. Folks like Linus Tech Tips are actually doing a much better job of that. So I'm glad this video is out there, even if I have the, the, the complaints and concerns that I have in this video. But they are absolutely manipulating their young user base to try to foment a court of public opinion trial, a trial by Fortnite, a trial by hashtag mob, which I really don't think we should want in and around the legal system. Right. I'm a lawyer. Right. So I believe in the rule of law. There's something in here in the video, I think, where he says at one point that only legal action could accomplish these ends. I disagree with that entirely. I think we have a history of instances where legal action wasn't required, where the people spoke, where things like EA's loot boxes that were all the rage in, what was it, 2018, were immediately kicked out because everybody hated them. They got all this negative publicity. You saw it only a couple of weeks ago when UFC's game wound up putting in full screen ads. I think that was Electronic Arts again, wasn't it? Well, they learned their lesson slowly. They put in full screen ads after reviews were done and then they had to take them out because the outcry was so large. People can change the functioning of business. The complaint right here primarily from Epic and Linus and everyone else is that consumers haven't asked for this change, right? And part of the reason for that is because consumers aren't getting directly affected by these things. If you go and you look at an exclusive that Epic Game Store buys from Steam, the price doesn't change coming over to Epic Game Store. And so consumers are unaffected. You can say, well, maybe the developers are the quote unquote consumers of store access. And maybe that's a point that you would bring before a judge. But ultimately, the end user doesn't see a difference. They see an Epic Game Store where they now have to go over there to get this exclusive game that they wanted on Steam that had Steam features. They don't get any benefits. And maybe developers get more money. Hard to say because the Epic audience isn't quite as large. Finally, we get to what I've talked about as part of this video a lot, which is that Linus Tech Tips, to his credit, goes forward and says the following. Apple deserves compensation for building and maintaining an ecosystem that is unlike anything that came before it. This is the circus tent, right? This is the circus tent that we talked about. Apple built a tent and then marketed the tent and made people want to come visit it. And then they sold space in that tent to Epic to sell their popcorn and for Epic to also sell butter on that popcorn. And they said, hey, you know what? The cash in your till, we get 30% of it because we have given you a space in our tent. And Epic says, nah, we don't want to give you this money at all. And I think Linus Tech Tips rightly says Apple deserves something for building the tent. He also goes to say, hey, Apple does a lot of good things in this environment. They provide exposure that many small developers simply couldn't afford. The App Store has, by and large, done a pretty good job of keeping malware off of iDevices. Now, that actually goes to a funny bit of his video where he's talking about Android and Google and says, you know what? Fortnite tried to have uh, only availability on the Android store through access to the Epic website and uh, access through sideloading. And that had its own problems. It was too frictionful for people. And then he's got one sentence where he also says, and also it introduced malware to, to the Android environment, which is very, very important. 
right? Because one of the things that Apple is saying is that we need these controls on our store to, to secure the environment. And then Linus Tech Tip says, yeah, they've done a pretty good job of securing the environment. He also in this video says, well, that one time Android didn't have a secure environment. And it is in fact what Apple brings up in their uh, lawsuit against Epic that says, well, we might trust some developers, but we don't trust Epic. Look at their history, Judge. And so you've got this circumstance where Linus Tech Tips himself is saying the things in Apple's case that you need to say if you're Apple to say, look, this isn't pretextual. We are allowed to have big market power. We are allowed to charge these high prices, even though they're the same as everybody else's prices. And we are allowed to do these various things as long as we have a reasonable business justification for doing them. And we've been able to keep malware off the store by having manual reviews, by actually having people go through this process. And we don't trust folks that do surreptitious hot fixes in the middle of the night to change the actual function of their applications. He also says an important point that the iDevices get five to six years of software updates because Apple has skin in the game, that they are getting that revenue, that it isn't like a hardware manufacturer that maybe only gets the revenue over to Google because they licensed out the Android operating system, that Apple has a reason to support these things, and that the actual creation of the Apple ecosystem, the thing that they built, results in these things, right? So you say, okay, we got to the end of the video, Rick. He called this Apple's reckoning has come. Why, do, why are we finishing off with all these nice things about Apple? Like I said, it's to his credit. But ultimately what he wants to say is, so those are all the reasons that I think most developers and consumers would actually want to continue to use Apple's official app store, even if an alternate one existed. Now it's perfectly fine for anybody to think that. This is an argument that says effectively, well, once you get into a competitive environment, you created the iPhone, you created the circus tent, but Epic wants to have a mini circus tent within your circus tent. And frankly, you've got the big top. They've got the little tent. People are still going to want to go to the big top. So what do you care? Ultimately, though, the law doesn't care about what you think. The law cares about consumers, right? As we said, we don't condemn agreements between companies, only those that threaten to raise prices to consumers or to deprive them of new and better products. So when you say something like, I think most developers and consumers would actually want to continue to use Apple's official app store, that's all well and good. But note what it does to the Apple brand and the Apple hardware. It eviscerates the walled garden, as you rightly said, right? A win for Epic here could essentially mean the death of the walled garden ecosystem altogether. They simply aren't allowed to control it any longer. They can't have gates up around their circus. Not only does it eviscerate the walled garden, Things like keeping malware off the phone are no longer within their control. And in terms of branding, regardless of where you got it, if there's a news article about Apple iPhones bricking because somebody downloaded a malware-filled Fortnite from somewhere on the Fortnite store or elsewhere, then that's going to deleteriously affect, it's going to negatively affect the Apple goodwill and brand. So Apple does have a business justification for doing what it is doing right now. And you can't actually argue, even if you think most people would continue to go through the official store, that some of these things that you say are useful wouldn't be negatively affected. And more importantly, if Apple doesn't make money through the App Store, if you are wrong here, not only is the walled garden ecosystem in and of itself destroyed, but Apple's incentive to commit resources to the iPhone project, the iPad project, to sell new hardware on these things is also negatively affected. The five to six years of software updates, which he rightly says aren't pursued by Android licensors and other hardware manufacturers of smartphones because they don't have that skin in the game. Apple's skin in the game will be reduced and that will have an effect on consumers. And the court isn't in the best position to make these determinations. That is why fundamentally on a philosophical basis, you look at Sherman Antitrust Act claims and say, what can you prove? What can you actually show is being harmed at the consumer level? Because otherwise the court is not in a good position to decide on economic terms to say, well, not 30%, but 28%, or this tying's okay, but this one's not, or these are two separate markets or not. They aren't in that best position. So you have to bring a strong case. You have to bring really honestly an obvious case about how consumers are being harmed. And I think Epic has mostly failed in that respect.
His walkaway line is as follows. So Epic figures Apple is abusing its powerful position and Apple says, my playground, my rules, which in fairness does kind of sound like abusing your powerful position. And I simply don't agree. I don't agree that setting up your own playground and setting up your own rules to access and use that playground is in effect an abuse of your powerful position. As you just said, Linus Tech Tips, the Apple ecosystem doesn't exist without Apple's investment, doesn't exist without Apple's marketing, without its support and maintenance of the App Store. And because it doesn't exist without those things, they deserve the right to control certain aspects of its use. And that's a point I think we can all agree on. So I don't think you necessarily even think this, that my playground, my rules is an abuse of your powerful position. And I can tell you for certain who doesn't think this, Epic. Because you know what you can't do? You can't just go into Fortnite, sell your own skins for direct payment to you, and Epic's going to be okay with it. Epic isn't going to be okay with it. They created Fortnite. They created the audience that goes to Fortnite. They've invested in it. They've signed license agreements to make Fortnite bigger and better. And really, a, a place for everybody to meet up and watch their favorite Christopher Nolan movies or whatever else floats your boat in that space. But they know they should get to control access to this software. And the fact that Apple is bigger, the fact that Apple is $2 trillion big doesn't change that. It isn't an abuse of your powerful position to say my playground, my rules. It's an abuse of your powerful position if you are doing something to restrain trade, that you are doing something unfair, and most importantly, something unfair that directly impacts consumers. And I don't think Epic has made that case. I don't think Linus Tech Tips has made that case. And so ultimately, it's got a million views, but I did want to make this video to say those few things. Finally, I would point out that he finishes the video by saying, I'm not a lawyer and neither are you. This is really the last falsehood that I wanted to show you here in Virtual Legality. This has been Virtual Legality for today. I hope you enjoyed this. I really did like checking out this video from Linus Tech Tips. This was a lot more fulsome in terms of information and in terms of attempted fairness uh, from a YouTuber than the game theorists and Matt Pat stuff was. So I, I was very happy to see that. He's not a lawyer, as he says. He didn't script it as a lawyer. I think we can forgive a lot of the kind of differences in understanding of the Sherman Act, how antitrust works, what a weak case is versus a strong case, because I think it's evident that he wants Epic to win. He thinks it would be a good thing. That's fine. That's a subjective opinion. The law has to be very conservative about using the weaponry that it has at its disposal to do things on an I think basis. But otherwise, I'm happy that this video was out there. I'm happy that I got to respond to it. And if he wants to have a conversation with me, I am more than happy to have that as well. Otherwise, we're talking about business and law of video games, pop culture, movies, music, television, and everything else here in this space all the time. Check out the videos. We're doing various other things that you should keep your eye on in the community tab, and, and maybe we'll go live uh, pretty soon on a more official basis. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.